Now, our lesson today is going to be about something which it's a bit tricky to get your head around, but it's a Christian doctrine, and we call it limited atonement. Now, that's a weird word. That's, those are two words you've probably heard, limited atonement. Well, we know what atonement is, kind of. It's what Jesus did. It brings atonement, but it's limited It's limited only to those who Jesus came to save. Now, I want you to think of this like, uh, oh, how do you imagine this? Can you imagine this? Imagine you're at home and suddenly you find that there's a big fire in the kitchen, right? Fire's going up the wall, the wall's black, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, fire detector is on fire. <laughs> That's, so, so you know there's a fire. Uh, what do you do? Who do you save? Sorry? You call a fire truck? That would be a good step. But, but you don't want to stay. The phone's on fire. There's a problem. <laughs> there are family in the house. There's family in the house. Who do you go and warn? Who do you go and tell? Yeah? Who, 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 who in your family would you tell first? Probably mom, dad, dad, yeah, a lot of dad. I'd, I'd, I'd warn my dad first. I'd warn my mom, yeah. Anyone over here who would you save? Any brothers and sisters? Yeah, maybe. Save a brother or a sister. People we love. We warn the people we love. We tell the people we love that this house is on fire and we get them out. Jesus is kind of like that, where this world is on fire. It's heading to fire, but you know, it might as well already be on fire. There's a great danger. We know the danger, right? Fire, yeah, I'm talking about hell, talking about sin. Now, Jesus is sort of like, sort of like you in this scenario. He goes into the house but he, he doesn't save the PlayStation. You know, he doesn't, save, he doesn't save the pots and pans. He saves those he loves. He saves his family. Profound, profound mystery. Because we're talking about people here. Jesus Christ has come into this world to save those he loves. And that's you, 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 you. It's not, there's some that he doesn't save. Didn't save, <laughs> didn't save my dad. Who knows? He saves those he loves because it brings him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, <clears throat> we thank you for these kids. We thank you that you have decreed that they would be here this morning, that they would have the families they have, that they would hear the gospel. Lord God, we thank you that you love undeserving sinners. 
and that in time you come and you save them. Lord God, we pray that if these children haven't already, that they would cry out and call upon the name of your Son because it's the only, the only Saviour of this world. Lord, uh, we, we confess that no one deserves to be saved. But Lord, here we are. We've heard your gospel and we're part of this new thing. And so we turn and we thank you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray that these children would grow up strong. We pray that they too would, would come to be floored by your grace and that uh, being floored, they would turn and tell others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our, uh, our, our, our preaching uh, text this morning comes from the book of First John, uh, and it is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. But for context, uh, I'll start from chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. This is the word of God. Uh, let us pray one last time before we... Uh, before we hear the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from your servant John. We thank you for the assurance that there is a propitiation, there is an advocate for all who sin, uh, for those who uh, turn and put their trust in Jesus Christ the righteous. Lord, we uh, pray that you would draw near to us, that you'd pour your spirit out on us, 
uh, that we may uh, hear the word of God preached, uh, but also that it that that I may preach it, uh, and Lord, that I would diminish and and you would increase, and and Lord, that uh, you would gather to your people, and that you would employ the means of grace. Lord, uh, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in choosing, in choosing a one-off passage for preaching uh, this week, I returned, if you remember before we were uh, going through the book of Titus, that we were tackling tricky questions within, within the Bible. And uh, I think it, it might have been for many of us uh, an introduction to covenant, uh, an introduction to uh, the heart of covenant that says we love the word of God, we're not afraid of any verse of it, um, and we will go there and we will preach it. Uh, so uh, in that spirit, uh, I've chosen to preach on a passage which uh, many have used to, well, the, the, it, it's, it's the passage I've zeroed in on is this passage here, 1 John 2, specifically verses 1 and 2 where he says, uh, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2 is our tricky verse here. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In the year 1610, uh, about 50 of the followers of a theologian called Jacob Arminius gathered in The Hague, and they produced a document called the Remonstrance, which sort of means a, a protest. And they picked out this verse uh, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world, in order to protest against what was to them an error in Calvinist thinking. And that error was the error of, error, because it's no error, of limited atonement. And they zeroed right in on this verse, who whose sins is Jesus the propitiation for? Just ours, just the elect, or the sins of the whole world? That's what they were arguing. They were arguing for a, for, for a, a universal atonement. And we get this today. I know I had to struggle with it when I first came to faith. I wasn't raised Reformed. I wasn't even raised Presbyterian. Uh, I was... Uh, 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 in a secular home with an Italian family, which means nominal Catholic, but raised in a world where there's just, we, we, were, we were, you know, un, uncatechized, just an uncatechized upbringing. But the more you meet Christians, and typically in university settings or um, in, in broader evangelical settings, is they uh, hear what we're all about, Calvinists, 
and we say, oh yeah, total depravity, you know, they, we, and, they, and they say, oh, I don't quite like the sound of that. And so you take them to Genesis 6 and you take them to Romans 3 and you say, no, look, none are righteous, no, not one. God is so high that we can't reach that standard. And they might say, oh, okay, okay, all right, I, I see it. I, th I think I see it, total depravity, that we're all sinful in all our parts. Uh, and then you say, oh, okay, unconditional election. And they uh, say, oh, I really don't like that. They really don't like that. Because, uh, well, we're, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's 2000, it's, it's insert year here. Here, it's, it's, it's 2023. And each one of us deserve a shot, right? Each one of us deserves a shot at heaven. The gospel call should be this neutral call that comes out. And if we want to, then we can respond to it and we can get into heaven. But, but what happens if that's the truth? Well, we get to heaven and we come to God like he's payroll and it's payday, and we say, I did the right thing, God, let me in. Well, now, we're, now we realize where, where that, that kind of thinking leads us, that, for, that for, for the gospel to be a gospel of grace, God has to be the one to choose and to love his people out of a sea of undeserving sinners. And so you can kind of get through TU of the acrostic tulip with, with, with people, and then they get to limited atonement. And you tell them, well, out of all the people who don't deserve it, God chooses some. And then in time, or in the year zero, I suppose, or, or where well, we recalculate it to the year about 4 BC, Jesus was born, and he came to save just those people. Just those, just those small number of people. And, and that is where our 21st century uh, individualistic, you know, this is where our, our, our do-it-yourselfer do it attitude really gets offended. Because now we say, well, 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 what, these people who aren't saved, they were never really even in the picture. Jesus Christ came with a list of people on his heart and he came and he died on a cross for their sins and not anyone else's sin. Because that's what limited atonement means. It means the atonement that Christ brought was limited in that it was only for those souls whom he had set his love on, who the Father had set his love on. And that is a list that not everyone's name is on. And this is where it cuts because, well, whose names aren't on that list? It, it's, it's, our, it's our beloved family members, right? It's, it's our parents. If, if we come from a background where there are no Christians, well, then you think, well, my whole line, you know, I'm, uh, you know none of my family are going to be there in heaven when I'm there. And for those of us who were raised in Christian families, and, and you've got a few that just have walked away from the faith, well, you think, well... You know, this is my brother here. This is, this is someone I love here. You're saying that, that their rejection of the gospel and their, uh, you know, their, their lack of inclusion in God's final grand plan was determined before they were even born. And it hurts. And they turn to passages like this, like... Uh, 
like, like 1 John 2, 2. And they say, well, look, he's the propitiation for our sins. Who sins? Not just our sins, everyone sins, the sins of the whole world. And, and they struggle. And they should struggle because it's hard. It's a hard message. Uh, and so that is why I picked this one out. It's our tricky question. It's our tricky question for, from Covenant. Um, but we also have to be faithful to, to, to the Scripture when we preach. So we can't approach this, this letter of, of John like, it's a, you know, like it was written in, in 1610 um, by these remonstrants. No, th this was written in, well, you know, sometime before 90 AD. It was written in the first century, and it was written with a purpose. And if we're going to get into this text and determine what it means, and, and then what it means for us, well, we need to, uh, we need to honor that. And so we, we go to, to 1 John, and we go to its context, and we find that it's written in a context, uh, you know, in some ways, in some ways far different to our context, uh, and in some ways very similar. Uh, but we see that it's the context that drives the meaning of the text. And the context is in the early church, specifically John's church. So Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Pentecost has happened. The, the disciples have gone out. They're apostles now. And they are preaching the gospel and planting churches in the area of, of uh, in, in, in Israel, in Turkey, in Greece, in Rome, and in North Africa. And John is ministering in the church in Turkey. Uh, he lived in Ephesus, and he ministered to that region. Now, that region at the time was... Uh, that, that church in that region at the time was being rocked by... Uh, a, a, a new wave of, a sort of an old wave of thinking, but it had mixed itself in with Christian thinking, and it had created a, a false gospel which uh, had rocked the church because people were picking it up and they were leaving fellowship. They were breaking fellowship over it. And uh, the, it's, called, it's called docetism, which comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem, to appear. So not, not to be, but to seem, to, to, to the way something looks. And their, their argument was, was that Jesus wasn't a man. He only seemed to be a man. He only dokeo, to be a man. Uh, and, and the reason why the, you know, it's, it's sort of hard. In today's world, we, we have a hard time sort of convincing people that Jesus is God. In, in their time, it was, it was hard to convince people that Jesus was a man. And that's because, well, we're, we're devoted to our worldview. They're devoted to theirs. And their worldview was informed by the system called Gnosticism. There's a lot of isms. But basically what it means is that there's this higher reality and it's spiritual. It's a world of thought. And this higher reality sort of <clears throat> emanates and gives birth to lower forms of reality. 
Uh, so you have spirit, and then they, and then that produces something else, which is sort of kind of spirit, but but a bit closer to to material, and then and then that just keeps emanating down uh, until and, and getting and getting dirtier and dirtier and less holy as you go down, until finally you get to the material world, which is where we live, and it's the lowest and most dirtiest thing you can imagine. And their thinking was this: was that spirit is good. Matter, material is bad. So Jesus had to have been spirit, and he could never, ever, ever, not in a million years, be material. He couldn't come and live in this in this body of flesh like us. Um, <clears throat> and that Jesus only seemed to. Now this is where the, 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 now this is all interesting. But where the rubber hits the road and where the heart of these teachers uh, is revealed is, is, is in how this plays out in, in the real world. Well, then, well, they say, well, Jesus is a spirit. He only seems to be a man, which means his redemption was a, sp a purely spiritual redemption, which doesn't affect my body or my tongue, the words I use, or my hands, the things I do. Basically, what it ends up with is a Christian religion which allows you to do whatever you want to do in your body whilst ensuring that you have a, a, a purely spiritual redemption and an ultimate destiny of blessedness and reward at the right hand of God. And how this played out is that, well, <clears throat> you'd have a congregation like this in, in uh, Turkey, and, and some of them would say, oh, oh, brother, I've got a revelation. I've got the secret knowledge um, from the spirit world, um, and, and that means we don't have to worry about uh, giving to the poor. I don't have to give my money. Uh, I don't have to worry about who's married to who. You know, I, I, I can take any woman I, I want or who, who wants me, um, and that's okay because I've got a special relationship with God I've got a special anointing from God, and and that and and then that means that that not only am I right, but I'm also very spiritual as well, and that my extra spiritual relationship is justification for this for this uh, for this behaviour. So you can see how in some ways this is completely, you know, some of this, this talk of emanations and Gnosticism, it's like something from another planet. But, but the heart is, is true. Like this heart sounds familiar. You've heard of this heart before in churches. You know, we think of David Koresh in the 90s, um, you know, out in Waco. He, he was Jesus. He was a special sort of rock star messiah. And, and he, he was God and he could do anything he wanted. And we saw how that ended. Yeah, but we even see it. We even see it working out in small scale amongst us, where we think, "Well, I'm special in this way." You know, I see it. See it in our circles too. Let's say we see it here. I'm special because I have a special relationship with God, because I have the catechisms and the right confessions. So I am now going to act really mean to people who weren't as privileged as me and have a, a poor, insufficient gospel, I'm going to call them a fool and murder them in my heart. It's pride. The theology comes second 
the desires of the heart come first. So this church has been rocked in Asia, John's church. Because, well, as you can imagine, everyone shows up on Sunday and suddenly, you know, there's fights because, well, they're sinning against each other and they're saying, well, I'm super spiritual and it doesn't matter. In fact, we're going, we're starting our own church, just me and the super spiritual guys, and we're going to leave you guys here with your Bibles and your good deeds and your law, and we're going to be super spiritual on the other side of town. Now, these people are new in the faith. It's a new church. It's a very early church. This might even be the, the very first church. And they've got soft Christian hearts because there's been a work of regeneration. And they're concerned. They're saddened by the break of fellowship. But they're also unsure. They're saying, well, all this Gnosticism sounds plausible to me. I mean, maybe they do have a special relationship. Uh, and maybe, maybe me devoting my life to, to this text from Israel and, and all these prophetic, you know, all this new stuff to me. Maybe I'm the one in the wrong here. Maybe I'm the fool for sticking to the word of God. And, and maybe I'm missing out, not just on pleasure today, but on an eternity with God. Maybe I'm just not legit. I don't have the real thing. And so, so, so John, writing into this context, into this church, which is saddened and grieved and unsure of themselves, writes 1 John, and he says, <clears throat> first of all, we'll get one thing straight. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is holy. He is perfectly holy. Now they think, okay, yeah, Gnosticism, this kind of makes sense. Oh, no, not like the Gnostics. God is personally holy. God is, God is uh, one who sits upon a throne. He dwells in inapproachable light. His ways are good, his ways are wise, his ways are holy and just. And if you say that you have fellowship with him, if you say, well, you've got an anointing and that you're walking with him and you're practicing darkness, well, then, well, then your walk disqualifies that claim. You can't be in fellowship with a God who dwells in an approachable light if your life uh, is patterned on selfish hedonism and uh, rivalry and hatred of your brothers and sisters. So the first thing uh, uh, John tells them is, look, these guys, they don't have it. He says this, you can tell, <clears throat> you can tell that they don't have it because they walk in darkness, because they sin. And then, well, these soft bruised reeds in John's church say, okay, okay, I understand what you're saying, John, but where does that leave me? You know, I'm no, I'm no docetist, but I'm a sinner. I'm not a proto-gnostic. I'm coming to terms with this, with this worldview, but I still sin. I fall short. I stumble. And this is where John delivers to them a message of comfort and assurance even though they sin. He says this to you, my little children, a term of affection. He's not, this isn't a chastisement, this is encouragement language. 
He says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. I want to encourage you to holiness. But if you do sin, now that's a big, that's an if, you know, but we might say when you do sin, but, but, but John is kind. He says, if you do sin, he says, good news, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate, which in uh, Roman Empire legal terms is sort of like a lawyer, sort of like um, <clears throat> sort of like uh, someone who comes alongside you. The Greek term is uh, parakletos, which is, which is we've, we know that word because Jesus tells us that that's, that's what the Holy Spirit's like, that the Holy Spirit is like this one who comes alongside you, you know, when you, when you enter into the lion's den and you preach the gospel. And then, and then this, this parakletos, this, this paraclete, uh, testifies to the truth of the gospel he comes alongside and he says and he and he tells these hardened hearts that that the things about Jesus are true well well Jesus said well John says that Jesus is 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 one of these he's one of these advocates but he's not an advocate with the mob like uh like the holy spirit is um he says this we have an advocate with the father <coughs> So the picture is one of sin. The picture is one of a, a courtroom where the Father stands before you as judge, as jury, as executioner, as the grieved party. And you are there in his courtroom and you have sinned. And we know what that means when you sin. We know that God's wrath abides on you. We know that God's wrath is for sin. And we sort of say, oh, God, <clears throat> God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. You know, we, we know what that means, that sort of Christian encouragement. But, but remember, God hates sin, and, and he preserves a, a, a place of judgment for the sinner. But when we are before the Father with our sins, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, which is someone who comes alongside us and pleads on our behalf. Our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus, the man Jesus. Jesus is a human's name. He is a man, Jesus. Do we remember in the book of Matthew when, when um, <clears throat> Mary is found to be with child from the Spirit and then, and then the, Spirit tells, the angel tells Mary, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means, in Hebrew, it means Yahweh saves that this child who's going to be born, who's going to come and, and grow up to be a man, is Yahweh saving his people from their sins, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now, Christ isn't a surname. Christ is a title. And, and it sounds silly to say, but until you know, you, you don't know, right? You don't know these things until you do. 
But if Jesus the man, as he's walking around town, he would have been known as Jesus of Nazareth. But then if he's in Nazareth and there are two or three Jesuses around, well, then you can't call all of them Jesus of Nazareth. You call him Jesus, son of Joseph. That was his name. His title was Christ, which means anointed. That, that anointing that, that these Gnostics think they have, they say, oh, I've got an anointing. And it means I've got the special relationship with God. Well, Jesus Christ had the anointing. He was the Messiah, which meant the anointing. We see the Messiah, this great promise throughout Scripture, this Messiah who will come, the one who's anointed. The book of Isaiah talks about him, the one who is anointed, the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor the one who is the anointed servant of God, who will come and be without sin, will never sin, sin will never be found in his mouth. Nevertheless, it will be the will of the Father to crush him, to lay the iniquity or the sin of the world upon him. And by his wounds, the many will be healed. Jesus Christ, the man who is God, who is the Messiah, and who is righteous. He is righteous. You know, he's righteous on two counts. One, he's righteous because he's God, of course. God is righteous. Everything he does is good. He's the, he, he, he is the, the one by whom we, we define what is good. <clears throat> but as the man, as the man Jesus, he is good because everything he does and everything he says matches up with that righteous standard of God. God gave us the Ten Commandments. He said, don't have any other God before me. Don't uh, take the Lord's name in vain. Don't make any images of him, which, which, you know, we think, oh, easily done. But no, it's not easily done. Because what the law requires is for you, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for, for the entirety of your time on this planet to give all glory to the God, to never share any of God's glory with anything down here, not even for a moment, never to put anything higher than it should be or even lower than it should be. Everything you need to do is perfect. And that relationship with God needs to be perfect and your relationship with others needs to be perfect. You can never steal which, which also means, well, you can never, you can never uh, sort of lie about how you got something. You can never murder, which also means that you can, never, you can never even murder someone in your heart. You can never look at someone and think, oh, and, 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 and then you're gone. All it takes, a momentary slip. And, 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 our, lives, and our lives are no mere momentary slips you know we're we're human beings we're fallen in sin and sometimes we find ourselves caught in 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 protracted long-term calculated sin sometimes we slip up sometimes we plan <laughs> but we're sinners we fall short and we're disqualified and god's wrath abides on us and hell awaits for certain but Jesus Christ is righteous because for all his life, he never, he never sinned once, not in his heart, 
not in his words, not in his motives, which how do you control a motive? How do you control the thing that you want? If, if you try to change the thing that you want, well, you just, re, you just realize that you wanted something else the whole time. Jesus Christ, perfect, nails it every time, every minute of every day. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2, it says, and this is getting into our problem verse, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but for those of the entire world. He is an advocate who, uh, <clears throat> he's an advocate who is righteous, and he comes alongside us, but he's not saying, he's not saying to a God, he's not saying to the judge, oh, you know, let him off because he didn't know what he was doing. He's not saying, oh, you should let him off because, um, well, you know, the circumstances, you know, who, who, could have, who could have withheld that temptation? Who could have withstood? Or, or, or the, this advocate, Jesus, he doesn't argue before the Father. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, she just didn't know what she was doing. It's ignorance. Jesus Christ's advocacy before the Father is built on this concept called propitiation. The Greek word is <clears throat> helasmos, and it doesn't occur many times in the New Testament. But it's a, it's, it's a concept and it's a word that, that the church would have been entirely familiar with. Because as Jewish, as, as, as Jewish Christians, as people with a Jewish heritage, part of the church, they would know that once a year in Jerusalem, there is this great day called... <clears throat> the Day of Atonement. And in their Bibles, which was written in Greek, translated from Hebrew to Greek, we call it the Septuagint, um, that word atonement is translated with the same word, helasmos, which means for many of them, they would have thought of this Day of Atonement as the Day of Propitiation. And we can find what's, what goes on in the Day of Propitiation in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 16, now it's a passage that many of us will be familiar with, and it's a lot of words, but, but perhaps, uh, perhaps it's better to hear and to, and to picture what is going on here. But in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 16, on the day of propitiation, The high priest, Aaron, uh, well, first of all, he sacrifices a bull for himself. <clears throat> and then if you skim down, there's, you, you skim over the things he has to do for his own sin. It says he has to bathe himself. He has to wear the perfect white linen garments of the high priest he has to wear the sash around his waist, the holy garments, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now, I'll describe it to you because it's, it's a long chapter. But he takes these two male goats 
the first one is slaughtered and the blood is taken into the holy place where it is sprinkled on the mercy seat. And in doing so, we have a picture of, of, uh, of cleansing, that the sin of the people of Israel, the whole congregation, has dirtied the land and, and their sin has gone even so all the way into the temple, into the place where God, God dwells uh, with his people. So the first, the first goat is killed and sprinkled. The second goat, hands are laid on it and the sins of all the people of Israel are confessed over it. And it's this picture of, of all of the sins of the people being transferred and placed upon this goat so that this goat now bears the sins of all the people of Israel and the wrath of God which those sins incur. That goat is then sent off into the wilderness, a picture of judgment and a picture of separation. So those sins are gone, they're judged, and they're, they're so far away from the people who committed those sins that you say, hey, hey, brother Eli, where is your sin? You say, I don't know. A goat took it, and, and I didn't see where the goat went. I have no idea. It, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far my sin is from me. God's wrath turned away from me and placed on this goat. And that is the high priest's duty once a year on the day of propitiation. Now we fast forward and we see Jesus Christ in the book of John coming over the hill, cresting the hill. John, himself a priest, looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who all of these lambs and goats point to, the propitiation And so Jesus is the reality, the reality that the Levitical priesthood was, was merely a type of what it merely pointed towards. He is <clears throat> the propitiation for our sins, just like how the lamb was the propitiation for the people of Israel. And then John says this, the remonstrance verse, not just ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So this, <clears throat> this type, this propitiation, which belonged to the people of Israel that the high priest would, would do once a year on the day of propitiation, in which all of the people of Israel, just Israel, not you know, Aram, not Assyria, not Egypt, not, not any other country, Israel. That, that that propitiation, that atonement was limited to, to just this nation. And now the fulfillment has come. Jesus has come. That this, this one who is to come to save Israel from their sins, but, but not just Israel, because we remember that not all who are part of Israel are Israel. We know that there are people within Israel who, even though they enjoyed the, 
the sacrifices of sins, they still nevertheless fell away. So not just, not just Israel. We also know that there are people outside of Israel beyond its borders who even though they weren't there, weren't part of that nation when, when, they, when, the, this, when this, the goat was slaughtered, nevertheless they found salvation. We have a picture today of God's people that extend beyond the borders of, of what we can see. You'll put it another way. John says in, in John's gospel that there are sheep out there. Jesus is the good shepherd. He has sheep. He gathers them in. And there are sheep that are not of his fold. They're out there. They're in the nations. Who are they? We don't know. Go and find them. But Jesus Christ is the propitiation, not just for our sins, but for their sins too. And they need to hear from him. This is a call to mission. There are other ways in which Jesus Christ can be the sins of the can be the propitiation for the sin of the world. One is that He is the world's Savior. There's no other name. There's no other there's no other name by which man or woman can be saved in this world. Only Jesus. He is the world's Savior. <clears throat> Second, uh, also, Jesus Christ. He came to be a propitiation. There's more to salvation than, than just the forgiveness of sins. In, in, in Ephesians 1, it says Jesus came to unite all things in him to bring this global restoration and to lift the curse that has been placed on this earth. So in another sense, Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. But Jesus Christ says in his high priestly prayer, if we remember, where he is praying, just like how Aaron, the high priest, would pray in, in Israel, Jesus Christ prays in, in John chapter 17. He says, he says, I have prayed for those who you have given me. Those who you have given me out of the world, I am praying for. I am not praying for those outside but I am praying for the ones who the Father gives me. Jesus Christ's self-understanding of his high priestly ministry has always been narrowed to those who the Father loves, those whom the Father has given to him to love, to save, to be his bride. Jesus Christ died for them and them only. He rose to heaven to advocate for them and them only because his propitiation the turning away of wrath was from them and them only. There are people who are going to go to hell. <clears throat> there are people who are already suffering. And if Jesus Christ was their propitiation too, then how unfair is God? So John is writing to this church. He says, look, you've been rocked. These people say they've got an anointing. They say they've got a special relationship with God. They don't know what they're talking about. You have a special relationship with God because your faith is in the Son of God. He is the propitiation for your sins. And he is an advocate for you before the Father. If you sin, you plead his name and God will bless you. He goes on. <clears throat> and by this we know that we have come to know him 
that we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So these proto-gnostics, these, these, these docetists who had their special relationship with God, which meant they didn't have to obey God, which meant that they didn't have to um, yield their bodies in service to God as a living sacrifice. <clears throat> John says, well, that's it. They're disqualified. But you, who have known that the wrath of God, which your sins deserve, has been taken from you and placed on Christ, that you have a propitiation and an advocate before the Father. You are now concerned with loving him. You are going to love him for what he has done for you, and your love is going to be worked out in obedience to the things that he has said, in his ethic, in his mission, in his gospel, in his, in his call to come to faith, to put your trust in him. You are going to remember that you were bought with a price, that you were bought with the price of the precious blood of the Lamb, and that your obedience is going to be one out of love, not that you love him, but because God loved you first. <clears throat> A few small points of application, and then we'll close up. First point of application is that obedience must flow from love. It must be grounded in the work of Christ for your sin. You You can obey God without loving him. You think of the discipline it takes to obey God. You think of the Muslims praying five times a day. You know, the word Islam, it means submission. It means obedience. It means I am going to submit my will to the will of my king. But there's no propitiation in Islam, which means that ultimately... Their obedience is out of fear. They'll say, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to give charitably, and I'm going to reform. But ultimately, it's not built on this foundation of the certainty that their sins have been dealt with, that their sins have been propitiated. They live in a world where the wrath of God may still yet be upon them. And the Quran says, that Allah is merciful. And if you ask the Muslim, they'll say, yes, you know, how, how do you know that you're going to heaven? They'll say, yes, Allah is merciful if you try hard enough, if you, if you try your best given your circumstances, or if, or if you do without knowing what is bad, it's, it's, it's okay, Allah sees that. He does, the, he does the calculations and he will find you righteous. Well, ultimately, there's no assurance there because you don't know. 
You don't know if you've been forgiven. <clears throat> you don't know if Allah, you don't know if you did the right thing. So ultimately it remains that you just hope and pray that when your day comes, that Allah is merciful. Christians know that, they, that God is merciful because Christ has taken every bit of wrath for, on, on our behalf. And we know that when we get to heaven, that it'll be because of the advocacy and propitiation of Christ. We know we're going there. <clears throat> and it's not just limited to Muslims. Now, this is where if we step away for even a moment from the gospel of grace, if we think for a moment <clears throat> that our final judgment is built, even, even for a minute on our, on our best behavior, we, we live in fear. Something practical. Uh, <clears throat> Suicide, right? Christian, you've known them their whole life. Prayed with you, worshipped with you. You love them. One day, they can't go on. They end their life. <clears throat> and now there's a cloud hanging over their funeral because we're thinking, how can a Christian do this? How can a Christian who knows the grace of God, how can a Christian who, who has prayed and knows the gospel of grace, how can they end their life in such a, a selfish, destructive, sinful way. And suddenly there's a doubt. And we say, well, <clears throat> maybe they didn't understand. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe, maybe, don't know, maybe they weren't walking in light after all. The promise is for them and the promise is for all of us who walk in dark days is that we won't be judged according to how we end our story. We won't be judged according to our last sin. We won't be judged according to our biggest sin, our worst day on earth, the day we did that, that one thing that we just, we, we wish we couldn't have done it, but, but we did it and now we can't, life is never the same. We'll never be judged according to our worst sin. Conversely, we'll never be judged according to our best day. The grounds of our salvation is our advocate, the propitiation, Jesus Christ. And he is the grounds of our love because he was, he was given to us by God voluntarily. We didn't earn him, but he poured himself out for us. So we can move forward in a life of obedience built on love with the certainty that God is with us and that he will never abandon us. And that is the true distinguishing mark of the Christian, is an obedience, a love, which is built on the unchangeable fact that Christ died for us while we were a sinner. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we stand before you 
sinners who deserve nothing but death, but you have poured out your mercy on us. You have sent your son the propitiation to take the wrath for our sin. Lord, we pray that we would carry this truth with us into the week. Lord, we pray if we'd never grasped this truth before in our life that we'd grasp it today. But Lord, we pray that as we seek to live lives uh, that testify to your mercy and grace, that we would remember first of all that we were loved first, that you loved us before we ever knew you, and that you paid for us with great cost. So Lord, we pray for your spirit to be on this congregation, that you would empower their witness, that you would give them a a greater heart for for purity and for your glory as they uh, carry this gospel into the week ahead of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.